Good morning. This is a bit dangerous. It's only it's only ten o'clock. I have been known to talk. Um, Rach keeps saying, "The older I get, the more I like to talk and repeat myself." So, but as we were worshiping this morning. Um, this has got nothing to do with my message, by the way, but I just thought of this, um, I just wanted to share a story with you guys. Who likes, everyone likes this story anyway, so hopefully it's, it's meaningful to you. Um, so as many people know, about two years ago, we, were, we spent a year over in America in a church called Bethel, and we're doing the school there, and one day we were in class, and... There was about 80 people in the class and someone brought a message and they were encouraging people to cry out to God outwardly to reflect what was going inwardly. How many know that we often come to church and there's a genuine desire, there's a genuine hunger for God, but sometimes we, for whatever reason, we struggle to reflect what's going on in here, externalize. And so, especially males, um, especially ones that are about 37. Um, and so, that's the challenge of our life. Anyway, so, I'm sitting there in this class and um, I really felt the Lord said, yeah, I want you to externalize what you're feeling inside. And so... All of a sudden, the person who was giving the, the, the encouragement sat down and there was 80 people left and they just encouraged us to pray and just whatever we felt was happening inside to externalize that. And the room was pretty quiet. And how many know that when you believe God's saying something to you, there's still a decision to make? And I had this impression that the Lord actually wanted me to act upon this. And the crazy thing is with hearing the voice of God, it's not like he sends us a text message. That would be easier. Because we wouldn't really need any faith. In the journey of hearing his voice, it might be a subtle thought, it might be an impression, but we actually lean into that. And the whole journey into hearing his voice is sometimes we're going to make mistakes. But I really felt this impression. I felt the Lord saying, I want you to act upon what this person has said, this encouragement that this person has said. And so I'm standing there and, you know, the room's fairly quiet and everybody's just reflecting. And my heart's like, you know, because you don't know what I'm going to do yet. So, And luckily, Rach was across the other side of the room. But, so this is what I did. More than once. Like about three times. And the crazy thing happened was like, It was the first beginning of the fear of man being squashed in my life. 
It's amazing. And of course, it's a journey, like, but the power of that fear, man, the power that the enemy had over my life that day was, that something was gone. The power was removed. The power that the enemy had over the fear of man was removed. Of course, it's been a journey where I still have to obey, even like this morning. I felt the Lord asked me to share this, and it still takes courage to share it. But I want to say, just before we even get into the message this morning, because I've got an hour... I want to give you permission in this place to, whether it's in worship, but to actually obey the voice of God. Because that day it wasn't just, see, people who never knew me might have just thought, wow, that's just Ben looking for attention. They probably didn't because they didn't know me for a few months. Maybe that's what some people may think. But the point is we often don't realize what God is doing in people's internal hearts. And so I want to give you permission in this place to go on an experiment with the Lord. It's crazy that, you know, Apple phones have two two main core values that I know of. One one of the, the values is in manufacturing, they want zero defects. They want zero defects. But in their R&D area, they want defects. Because unless you have defects, you're not going to have innovative ideas. And so with our journey with God and hearing His voice, there is experimentation because we're learning. And unless we act upon promptings from God, we never know if we're hearing or not. There is risk. There is steps of faith. The zero defects is in our character. That's not something we should be experimenting around with. (laughs) That's something that the Lord has called us to live an uprightly, a pure lifestyle for Him. And so I just want, hopefully that blesses somebody. Um, That's at least cleared my throat. Like Jared said, we're in a series on community. And a couple of weeks ago, I think it was about four weeks ago, I shared a sermon on community. And um, this is maybe like part two to that. When I shared about a month ago, I shared about the fact that Community is more than just coming to church. It's more than just having our name on a membership. It's actually being fully known and fully loved. It's about being transparent with people. It's about doing life. It's about being in a a community of people where we can be vulnerable, where we can be open, where there's trust and we can be honest. This is the true sense of family of community that Jesus talks about. And I shared a story about our um, son, our four-year-old son, Tommy. And I I, want to share that again because we're going to build on that this morning. So last year, um, Mia, who's our six-year-old daughter, 
she got an award at her school and our whole family was invited to attend the awards um, ceremony. And so we're there with the family and, and Tommy's sitting on my lap and it's an amazing time and we're celebrating Mia for getting this achievement and there's, other, there's a lot of kids getting up, getting awards. And halfway through the, this, this ceremony, I, I leaned down to Tom and I said, this is an amazing school, you're going to have so much fun when you're here, you're here next year. And he stopped and he looked around and a really serious complexion and he looked at the teachers, then he looked at the students and he looked back at me and said, Dad, these just aren't my people. These just aren't my people. And although we find it humorous for a four-year-old, sometimes we have that same approach in life as adults. We probably never use the language, but oftentimes that's how, what we say, is these aren't my people. I would like to propose this morning that we don't actually find our purpose until we find our people. We can't fully step into our purpose, our destiny, until we embrace this, this thing called family, called community. I'm sure you've heard or maybe you've been one of these people that have got an amazing call of God on your life and you feel like you, you really can start to articulate the area that God wants you to serve in. Or maybe you know somebody like this or a friend of a friend of yours, of course. And, and all of a sudden, you know, we try to, to accomplish our destiny, our purpose outside of community. And it just doesn't work. We might have limited success, but where the Lord actually wants to take us in, in, in his fullness is actually in the environment of community. And yeah, it's awkward, it's vulnerable, it's all those things you're thinking about, but this is actually how God has designed it. He says in, uh, in, in Matthew, when we read that passage about the Lord's Prayer, he says, Our Father. It was never His Father, it was our Father. The context is always Family. Any time that we actually abandon the concept of family or community, we actually remove it from the kingdom altogether. Community is the kingdom. Family is the kingdom. There's an, there's an African proverb, and this is what it says. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. Let me say that again. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. In the last couple of years, the Lord is really emphasizing to me this whole deal of faithfulness and longevity as being a follower of Jesus. So many times we can think that there's a sprint. We put the emphasis on conferences, we put, which are great. We put the emphasis on us being uh, burning for God for a period of months, but what the Lord is actually looking for is actually longevity. 
He's actually looking for us to burn for 20 years. And the only way that happens is in the context of community. Why? Because, like Jared said before, we actually need the strength. We actually need what other people have. What you have, I need to fulfill the Lord's purpose on my life. If you've got your Bibles, if we can just have a, we're going to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 22, and then we're going to skip over to 2 Samuel chapter 23. Um, I've been in these couple of books for a long time, and the Lord's been speaking to me probably for the last year or two, so much out of the book of Samuel, 1 and 2 Samuel, just about the life of David and... Um, we're going to start reading in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1. But a little bit of the context to this verse is that, that David, as we know, he's al- by this point he's already killed the lion, he's killed the bear, he's killed Goliath, he's serving Saul, he's doing amazing things under Saul's leadership. But because the favor of God is such on David's life, Saul has become jealous. And ultimately, Saul thinks, hey, if people really realize how good this guy is, they're going to ask me and put him in charge. And so Saul says, well, the only option is to kill him, which is crazy. And so this is where we pick up in in 1 Samuel chapter 22, where David has fled. And it's it's a long story about Saul's endeavors to, to take his life. But in verse 1 it says, David left Gath and escaped to a cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. Verse 2. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. Listen to that. Verse 2, all those who are in distress, in debt, or discontented gathered around him. This sounds like a Christmas party, doesn't it? (laughs) Or maybe your friend's church. That that was a joke, by the way. Um, But but imagine this. The Bible says that he is named the commander. He's named the leader. And this is the group of people he's got. They're in debt, they're discontent, and they're in distress. Imagine kicking off a church with these guys. This is is incredible. And then we go over to 2 Samuel chapter 23. And I'm going to start reading from verse 8. And... This is what happened in a short space of around 40 years. This is what happened. This is the account of now David's team. By the way, I apologize. Um, This is going to be hectic reading through this, but I'm going to do my best. If I skip some words, it's not because I'm trying to remove anything from the Bible. All right. Verse 8. 
These are the names of David's mighty warriors. Josheb, a was chief of the three. He raised his spear against 800 men whom he killed in one encounter. This is incredible. Next to him was Eleazar, son of Dodal. As one of the three mighty warriors, he was with David when he taunted the Philistines gathered at Pastamon for battle. Then the, illustri- uh, sorry, the, the Israelites retreated, but Eleazar stood his ground and struck down the Philistines till his hand grew tired and froze to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day. The troops returned only to strip the dead. This is incredible. Next to him was Shamath, son of Aji. When the Philistines banded together at a place where there was a field full of lentils, Israel's troops fled from there. But Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it and struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. This is incredible. This is unreasonable things happening. Everything, these people would have all been justified to follow the crowd. They all did unreasonable things. Let's keep going. Verse 13. During harvest time, there was 30 chief warriors came down to David at a cave of Adullam. While a band of Philistines was encamped in the valley, at that time David was in a stronghold and the Philistine garrison was at Bethlehem. David longed for water and said, Oh, that someone would get me a drink of the water from the well near the gate of Bethlehem. So three mighty warriors broke through the Philistine lines, drew water from a well near the gate of Bethlehem and carried it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out before the Lord. Far be it from me, Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives and David would not drink it? Such were the exploits of these mighty warriors. Ashibi, another one here, he raised a spear against 300 men whom he killed. Benaiah, verse 20, Benaiah, son of another guy, a valiant fighter from another place, performed great exploits. He struck down Moab's two mightiest warriors. He also went down into a pit on a snowy day just because he could and killed a lion. This is incredible. What is going on with these guys? When we're all going out to buy milk and bread, this bloke's wandering around killing lions. He struck down a huge Egyptian. Although the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, Benaniah went against him with a club. He snatched the spear from the Egyptian's hand and killed him with his own spear. Such were the exploits. And it goes on. And then there's a full list, which you can read in your own time, about these mighty men. What's fascinating is what happened between 1 Samuel 22 and 2 Samuel 23. Something's happened. Because in 1 Samuel chapter 22, we had... A group of people in distress, in debt, and discontented. And in 2 Samuel chapter 23, it's quite a different picture. 
I would propose that the foundation of what actually transpired in those 40 years was actually that they belonged to someone. They actually bought into this whole deal of community, of belonging, of family. I would suggest that I'm sure there was amazing things that David was doing with this group of men in this time, but the fundamental foundational point was that they actually had a covenant together. They actually came together. They actually had unity. They actually came together and said, hey, we're going to buy into this thing of community. We're going to buy into this thing of family. They actually engaged in true community. And the result is that they actually became David's mighty men. I find it interesting, the story that I just read where David's fighting a battle and all of a sudden three of the men overhear him saying, oh, if I could just have a drink of water from, the, from a well at Bethlehem. And here these three men, they get together and they say, our commander, our leader, maybe they even said our father, has made a request that's totally unreasonable. But because we've bought into the fact that because we embody the fact that we've, we've made a covenant, we've engaged in community and family, we're going to risk our lives to see his request fulfilled. And they risk their lives for something as small as a glass of water and bring it back to him. This is insane. This is not logical. But this is what happens in a community. This is what happens that, that, that here, here the Lord's taken disgruntled, in debt, distressed men and made them mighty warriors. It all happens in the context of community. So who do you belong to? Not what church do you attend? I've written down here six practical ways that we can actually measure or get a sense of, I guess, our commitment to community. There's many more, but I've just written six down. If you're taking notes, this is a good time to write these down. I've tried to make them as practical as I can. Six ways that we can actually have a measure of how committed we are to this concept of community, of family, of belonging. Number one, the first question to ask ourselves is, am I known? Am I known? This morning I want you to ask the question, as you're sitting here in church, are you known? Do you have a group of people that you can be fully transparent with? Do you have a group of people you trust that you can engage in conversations with them with no guards up? Do you have a group where you can go to that's not, you're not hiding some segments of your life but you can be fully vulnerable? Are you known this morning? That's number one. Number two, the question is, am I accepted? Are you accepted this morning? 
Do you have a group of people that you trust, that you're not only fully known, but you're fully loved? Are you accepted with whatever, whatever's going on in here that you know that there's a safe place of people that have your back, that love you, that no matter what's going on, they will fully love you in a process? Can you say this morning that you're accepted? That's number two. Am I accepted? Number three is am I valued? Do you live with a sense of value? Do you live with a sense of significance in your community? Number four, do I have ownership? This morning, the question is, do we have ownership? It's an amazing church that we come to, but maybe when things aren't going too good at Hope Point Church, do we stand there and say, well, things aren't going too good at Hope Point, or do we say, hey, things aren't going too good at my church? Do we have ownership? Or maybe when things are going amazing, do we we stand off from a distance and admire what's going on, or do we celebrate as if it was our own? Do you have ownership? That's number four. Number five. Do I have responsibility? Number five. Do you have responsibility this morning? This is an interesting one because oftentimes, especially in Western church, there's a culture of observing There's a culture of sitting back and just seeing if this thing is really going to be a success. There's often a sitting back and thinking, well, I'm just not really sure about that church, or I'm not really sure about that small group that I'm in. You know, I'm not really sure. I'm just going to stay guarded. I'm just going to pull back. I'm not really going to get any skin in the game until I'm sure. The Lord is encouraging us this morning as we engage in true community. The question is, Do you have responsibility? Do you have a role to play? Do you have a place to serve? Do you have any skin in the game? Or are you just a spectator who's waiting to see what might happen? Number six. The question this morning is, do I have common core values and vision? Do you have common core values and vision? This one's often overlooked, but I think it's really important that we have a group of people that we're actually on the same page with. By that I mean that we can be extremely diverse. You can even think totally different to a person who's in your world. But it's important that we actually are on the same page. It's important that when you talk to these people, What the Lord is burning in this heart resonates in your heart. It might look totally different to where the Lord is calling you to minister or for you to serve, but there's got to be a resonating thing when you talk to people who are in your world that the very thing that God is doing in in their heart and making them become alive is something that is igniting passion in you. 
Do you have common core values and vision? Are you on the same page? I'm just going to read through those six again. Number one, am I known? Number two, am I accepted? Number three, am I valued? Number four, do I have ownership? Number five, do I have responsibility? And number six, do I have common core values and vision? Why this is so important is because unless we actually engage in these elements, we're not doing true community. Unless unless we actually engage, just like we saw with David's men, in the process of 40 years, they went from disgruntled, um, dysfunctional people to what the Bible calls the mighty men of God. And this is the process. It's through community. It's through family. As we start to embody these things, it we actually, we don't just come to church, we actually become the church. You see, we actually find our true purpose in our people. We actually try find our true purpose, our true destiny in people, in a community of people that we can do life with. Did anyone know that the atomic bomb is actually made through the principle of fission? We all know that's where the atom is actually split. And we saw that the devastating effects that that had in World War II with the atomic bombs. But there's actually another principle. And it's actually a superior power, and that is through the process of fusion. It's actually when an atom is joined together. I didn't know this, but this is crazy. The process of fusion actually releases seven times more power than the process of fission when an atom is split. This is incredible. As I was thinking about this, I thought, the world, our town has seen the effects of when there's a church split. Our our world has seen the effects, our town has seen the effects of when there's there's disunity or, or, or relationships are, are disconnected in the church. It has an effect. But what would it look like if our community saw the effects of a united people? Not just attending the same building, not just attending the same church, but actually finding people we can do life with within the context of the church and actually living in community, actually living out community and family like Jesus teaches us about in his word. True community. And by the way, I I think this church is a testimony of that. 
I think our, our, our roots, our, our DNA is so strongly embedded in this principle. But the encouragement is that we've, we've now moved on to other seasons. Things look quite different, but we can't lose that principle because it's, it, it's a kingdom principle. What would our town see if they saw a united people? I would propose that they would probably see something like in John 17 when Jesus prayed his prayer to the Father for us. He says, so that they may be brought into complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and you have loved them. Ultimately, coming into real community, coming into real family, yeah, is where our purpose actually flourishes. But the bigger picture is that they might, those, our our town, might actually observe something and say, Jesus is real and he loves me. This is the evidence of a people that are united together in unity, united together in purpose, united together in heart, is that people would see something and say, I might not have language for it, but I want what they've got. This is what our church historically was known for. People came from all over the world to come. I know people actually bought tickets, one-way tickets here, and they never visited the place, literally moved here, because they heard about a place that was so embodied in community that people would come and say, we don't have language for it, we don't really understand everything that's going on, but they have a unity there that's attractive. We can't fully step into our purpose, our destiny, unless we embrace people. It's as though the Lord has hidden, might be the wrong word, but he's designed it in such a way that we can do a heap of things in isolation, but until we surrender in this awkward, mess, vulnerable place of community is where we can actually see our purposes, ultimately his purposes fulfilled in our life. I'm just going to ask if the worship team can come now um, and if the guys can hand out the elements... That would be great. Just as we transition into communion now, coming around the Lord's table, I want you to just have a think just for a couple of moments. Maybe the Lord wants to take you in a journey deeper this morning. Maybe a bit like that African proverb that you say, well, I can go fast. But he's actually calling you today to go far, to go deep, to go wide. I just want you to consider what the Lord is speaking to your heart this morning. What area is he challenging you on? Maybe you're sitting here and you say, hey, I've never... I thought coming to church was like the pinnacle of of my Christian walk, and that's amazing. It's a big part of it. But maybe this morning you're sitting here and say, hey, I've never been really vulnerable with other people. I've never actually opened my life up and let people actually see who I really am.
I've never been, or, or maybe you've done that and you've been hurt. And maybe you've said, look, that's one thing I'm never going to do again. The Lord wants to encourage you this morning to find people you trust. Small groups is a great way for this journey to begin. Find people that you trust, that you can do life with, especially men. Can I just speak to the men this morning? We oftentimes walk along in in so much isolation, even though we feel everyone's around us. I encourage you as men, find people you can trust and have conversations. Be intimate. Let the walls down. Let your guards down and be transparent with people. This is true community. Just as we transition into communion, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. What I find fascinating about this passage is that Jesus didn't initiate this new covenant in isolation. He actually shared the brand new covenant of his blood with his disciples. Actually, furthermore, his whole ministry was done in community and family. And we looked at the life of David and and how he modeled something really significant for us to learn from. But Jesus did this all through his ministry, all through his life. He modeled for it what it what it was like to live in community, what it was like to live in family. So this morning as we're about to take the elements, I just want you just on the benches where you're sitting, maybe just move if it's possible. Just move a little bit closer. Most of you are already sitting close to each other, which is great. But just on the bench where you are, maybe you just put a hand on the person next to you to just signify that we're doing this together. It can be in groups of two or three or whatever it is, it can, it can be just two people together. This morning as we come together, even in our small groups in this place, we're signifying that we're not doing this in isolation. It's a beautiful picture of how the Lord intended us to not only take communion, but to live life.
Today we're celebrating the fact that everything that you need has been paid for at the cross. Every single thing has been paid for. The payment has been made. The issue of sickness, the issue of finances, the issue of poverty, the issue of sin, dysfunction, relational issues, all that has been dealt with at the cross. It's already been put into our account, if you will. And what we're doing is, now that it's in our account, we're actually journeying with the Holy Spirit to work out how we actually take withdrawals. How we actually see that healing become manifest. How we actually see the the place of poverty becoming a place of abundance. How we see relational issues become a place of restoration. This is our journey with one another and the Lord as followers of Jesus is to see everything that He accomplished at the cross become manifest in our life. It's as though He's done a full download at Calvary into our account and we're learning how to make withdrawals about what He's already done. And why it's so important is because the persons sitting next to you are a big part of those withdrawals. And so often we try and withdraw things in isolation and it doesn't work. But I want to encourage you this morning as we come around the table of the Lord, as we come around and celebrate the sacrifice that He made for us, that potentially the breakthrough to the thing you're very looking for is in people. You might say, well, there's no way that even makes sense. I have no clue. I have no clue what even that looks like. But that's the way he's designed it. So just in your groups, we're just going to spend a few moments... I just want you as a group, if you can take the, the, the cracker and the juice together, just as a group together, whenever you're ready, and I just want you, to let, let there be just a, a heartfelt thankfulness to the Lord, not for only the relationship we have with God, but who He's put us with. We're just going to spend a few moments, and whenever you're ready, you take that, and then we're going to finish with a song and just celebrate Him.